Aliens Explored is a podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? The term UFO is correctly used to describe anything unusual we see flying in the sky where we can't work out what it is. Some of these flying objects may indeed be of extraterrestrial origin but many undoubtedly come from somewhere closer to home. Join us on Aliens Explored as we discuss man-made UFOs. Hello listeners and welcome to Aliens Explored, your weekly podcast where we look at the skies above us, we look at historical cases, we look under the waters, we look everywhere for UFOs and aliens and other otherworldly things that have captured everything there, haven't I? Um, I think so, and, and we see them everywhere because that's the kind of people we are. <laughs> and this is one of your hosts, Neil Kelly. <laughs> Hello, and this is your other host, Stu Jackson. We've Hello. got a bit. We've got a bit two Ronnies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good night from him. No, don't yeah. go anywhere. It's not good night yet. Uh, listen yeah. to the podcast first because uh, we've got quite an interesting podcast this week. I think mm. uh, I always say that though, don't I? You always do, yes. And yeah. but um, I've never so... been proved wrong. <laughs> Not been proven wrong, no. Has anyone, <laughs> anyone listening out there who wants to prove Stu wrong? Well, uh... <laughs> Bring it. No. Yeah, we, um... we accept the challenge. <laughs> no, if if you if you do find you know any of the um, episodes less than enthralling, do do let us know and let us know what sort of things you want to hear. This is. This is as much your show, listeners, as it is ours. So anything you want to hear about. Get in touch. Let us know. Um, you can email us at aliensexplored at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, those usual places. And while we're on it, I, w- I was going to mention this at the end, but I'm going to mention it now instead. Wherever you listen to your podcast, do leave us a cheeky little review uh, and, a, and a star rating. It does help other people find this podcast. And we really appreciate it, and you'll be one of our favourite peoples if you do. We do love, we'll love you for it forever. Uh, yes, indeed. Oh, for, so... for a while, anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Until the next fad comes along. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So, um, so bit of an now. It's been a while, um, Neil, since we've actually recorded anything, hasn't it? Because of holidays and things like that all sorts of things like that um obviously not a gap for our listeners because we've uh we've no, to, we recorded in advance and yeah built up a stock and now we haven't got a stock and this episode goes out this friday and we're recording right. on wednesday <laughs> so i'm gonna be up <laughs> against it <laughs> but it's worth it it's worth it uh certainly um but yeah so what's um 
Oh, anything UFO related, either fictional or factual, been going on in your life, Neil? Um, the short answer is no, but actually, but if okay. I, possibly, possibly I could come up with something, something UFO. I don't think I've seen any movies. Or don't make it up. Any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> Some bloke the other day was said something. Of, no, no. How no. about yourself? Have you been? Yeah, uh, um, Probed. Sort of. I mean, a little bit vicarious, but I, I've been. I mean, as you know, Neil, and and hmm. as our listeners are about to find out, um, I've been away at a festival for four days uh, in the depths of Wiltshire. And you look uh, it. Where I have to say, thank you. Yes, I'm peeling like bumblebee, hmm. um, <laughs> which is I got all sunburnt yeah. and now I'm peeling, but uh, I'll live. Um, but, yeah, um, I mean, Wiltshire, of course, is where the vast majority of crop circles happen. We, di- we didn't get to visit any crop circles, but uh, but a group of us as friends, I did take everyone to a visit to Avebury, which is Neolithic Stone Circle and quite mm. closely related to ley lines and, and UFO activity and things like that. So didn't see any UFOs, but was in a UFO hotspot. That's hmm. what I was driving at there. Also, I just want to show oh. off that I've been on holiday. <laughs> that, that is really UFO related. It? It's yeah, yeah. It, I, it I can't claim anything like that. I was trying to, I was trying no. to remember if I'd watched a movie or seen anything on television, but uh, I don't get. Out well, we were going to have a look at um, for for crop circles, but of course, it's that time of year they've they've harvested them all. So, mm. I mean, th- there was a there was a meteor shower when I was away on holiday in Norfolk. But oh, cloudy, right. overcast sky, so couldn't see anything. So that's okay. That, that's uh, that's where our American listeners often have an advantage if you're looking out into the the clear blue skies above Nevada or Arizona. Then uh, yeah, you're far more likely to see things than than we are in cloudy, overcast England. Mm, yes, yes, indeed. Um, but something you might see, no matter where you are in the world, of course, is. Man-made flying saucers, right? So, so like the segue there, Neil. I, I did like I did like the segue because <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about today. Is it man-made? Is it? Are we just are we confining ourselves to man-made um, flying saucers or man-made UFOs or um, anything um, extraterrestrial related that's turned out to to be terrestrial in origin? That is a, a brilliant question. So. So yeah, so when we initially sort of came up with the concept, I I made a note man-made UFOs. But Ooh. the trouble with that is if you get a ball and throw it through the air and someone else sees it and doesn't necessarily recognize that it's a ball but they Ooh. see an object, that's a man-made UFO. It is. Well, I'm thinking are we going to talk about um objects that people have created to deliberately create the impression that uh, it's an extraterrestrial ah. visit, or are we talking about things that are terrestrial in origin that people haven't been able to identify, like an experimental aircraft or some trick of the light? Or... I'm with you. Well, well, we did the episode some months ago uh, about UFO hoaxes, didn't we? Mm. Uh, so we, I feel like we've kind of covered that one. Um, for the most part. So this is more about, and and I'll use the term sort of man-made flying saucers. I think that's probably mm. a more um, 
closer to what we're, we're, we're aiming for here. So we're talking about craft that looks like UFOs, UAPs, flying saucers, whatever it is, but actually is definitely man-made. Mm. Um, yeah. Have you have you turned up anything in your research on this, Neil? Um, no, I just keep coming back to this list of UFO-related hoaxes. So the the oldest one that I've been able to identify, I think, actually, there's a couple that could be that, that are quite old, um, but probably one of the most famous ones is um, the Gloch or the Bell. Mm. Uh, which was a Nazi creation. Uh, this one's more rumour than anything else, though. Uh, this this bell-shaped craft, which was uh, allegedly an anti-gravity craft, possibly even a time-travel vessel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot about it uh, on there. Vril-powered, it's said, by some... Um, when we talked about the Vril Society recently, didn't we? Mm. And we've talked about the Foo Fighters as well, which were thought to be advanced Nazi aircraft. Yes. Yeah, well, the Foo Fighters is kind of the opposite, I suppose, of what we're talking about here, because the Foo Fighters, they saw and thought, oh, look, it's it's like it's man-made craft, but it's advanced man-made craft. But actually it wasn't. I suppose if you're in a war, and especially a war like the Second World War, which lasts for several years, and during which there are a lot of technological innovations, you think a war that started with cavalry charges and biplanes and ended with ballistic missiles, jet aircraft, drones, nuclear weapons. Um, so if you you're you're attuned to think that anything that's in the sky that you can't recognise as friendly as one of your aircraft is an enemy aircraft, however strange yes. it might look. Oh, <laughs> yes. Totally, totally agree. And and in the same turn of foot, like, we look at things today, and because of media, because of, like, science fiction movies and, mm. and things like that, we now see a light sort of speeding across the sky, and we automatically go, oh, it's aliens. Um, how many times has the Starlink train been well, misidentified as as UFOs or you know alien craft because they're all lights traveling in a straight line, loads of them. Well, well, that that's something that's I've heard expressed before about you know all these people who have been so many people have claimed to have been abducted by aliens or have seen UFOs. They are people who have who are known to have had a long time interest in UFOs. So how come it's these people who keep getting keep seeing UFOs? The ones who are um, just obsessed with them, who who will bend your ear down the local bar if you if you let them about and go about UFOs. Um, I've, I've certainly I've certainly read about. Yeah, there's an awful lot of UFO reports associated with such people. Some of well, some of whom probably are, are our most avid listeners. <laughs> I would ask the question: Like, are we sure it's that way around? You know, is this like more of a chicken and egg thing? Because um, you know, taking myself as a, as an example, mm. I had zero interest in UFOs, um, zero interest in the, in the whole culture, until I had an experience myself. Then mm. I got all interested in it. So all these people, yes, they might be sort of, they might be really avid 
mm. you know, people who, who just avidly absorb everything they can about the culture, but is that because of their experience rather than they happen to... I wonder if it works the same way that you know, if you've just watched a horror film about a home invasion or something, and then you hear some noise that you can't immediately identify downstairs in your house, um, you're probably more likely to be frightened by it if you've just watched a movie where that's the that's the start of something horrendous and deadly than any other night. You might just have, have a more open mind about it. So perhaps, yeah, watching movies about UFOs will prime you to misidentify something you see in the sky that can't you can't identify. Well, very much misidentify I mean, what you can't identify. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about, sort of um, auto suggestion, um, mm. where yeah, your brain sort of fills in gaps. But it fills it in from from where it's at at that time, that moment. Yeah, because yeah. as as psychologists have said, we we are we are creatures who seek patterns and we seek to explain things and fit things into context. And suddenly you see something that that you've never seen before. But except the only place you've seen it is in a movie about UFOs or <laughs> War yes. of the Worlds or something. You think, oh, okay, that fits into that bit of what I know about the world. There's it. There's there's a sort of pr- almost practical application to that. Um, I, I'm a member of a Facebook group that's uh, that that's all about faces in things in inanimate mm. objects, and people are like post a picture of a house or you know a, a handbag the way it's just been crumpled on the on the chair or whatever, and these things all look like they actually have faces, and that's exactly that that phenomenon that see seeing um, patterns in things but some of them look absolutely hilarious so yeah but i, I mean there was fun. that famous picture of the, the face on mars which was first yes. photographed by was it the viking one explorer in 1976 um when we first sent a probe that far and of course mm. it it turned out to be just a combination of of shadows and poor image resolution and but it, yes, it really and- looks like there's a face there's, well, there's a few lumps but it look, one of them really looks like a face it does, and that that particular image has been used as an argument for um, Mars being occupied to this day. Is still used as an argument mm. for that. Um, yeah, we've digressed really far. We we we, <laughs> we, we do tend to do that. But you know, talking about a, probably yeah, you, know, you talk about the earliest man-made UFOs. Probably the earliest one stems from man's first successful attempt to fly when uh, the Montgolfier brothers successfully launched a hot air balloon back in the 18th century um it was quite a simple balloon it didn't have its own heat heat source attached to it basically they heated it over a i think a fire on the ground and then when it had enough hot air in it they released it uh, with with themselves in it and i think an actress Mm. as well for some reason um and they flew a certain distance and then when when they landed because obviously something like will only go so far before uh, the air cools and it comes down again. They were attacked with pitchforks by um, angry and frightened peasants who did indeed think they'd come from another world you know, they, because wow. they'd never seen anything like it before. Wow. That's, that's an excellent example. <laughs> they God. barely escaped with their lives. Yeah, man-made UFO, not an attempt to deceive people not an attempt to, to create a ufo hoax no, but no. really just um an experimental aircraft well yeah and 
Do you know what? There, there's an interesting takeaway from that. I'd, I'd not heard that story myself, but but my mm. brain's instantly gone to, why did they think they were from another world? Why was that their go-to explanation for this this inconceivable thing that they'd seen? I think you know, in those peasants, the only thing they would have seen in the sky before would have been either a bird or something that had been thrown. Um, and then suddenly there's this yeah. huge object coming down on them. Yeah. It, but um, I bet they've gone to church every Sunday and heard all about, you know, um, God in heaven or the angels and things like that. But they see a flying craft and instantly think, oh, they're from another world. Mm. That suggests something's happened in our collective um, sort of history, our genetic history. Perhaps to instantly go to that, that, that as an answer, or, or perhaps mm. the, yeah, the response of Aboriginal peoples of the Americas or the South Pacific, who had only had probably never been out of sight of shore in small canoes and fishing boats. Suddenly, these huge sailing ships arrive, mm. uh, peopled by you know, people who look, I suppose, superficially like them, they're just a different colour and dressed very differently. Um, who in some cases proceed to slaughter them, or in some cases, like like Captain Cook, end up getting slaughtered by the natives because they, you know, they they've certainly come from somewhere else. Mind you, those natives would tend to, I think, anyone who wasn't of their tribe was automatically an enemy. Yes, yes, better as safe a, than uh, sorry. Self protection thing. Mm. Mm. Bringing it round to actual sort of flying saucer-shaped vehicles. Um, mm. The earliest actual, so not not in legend, not in, mm. you know, speculative one, but actually physically exit. In fact, you know, the, the craft itself still exists in a museum, um, was from 1932. A, a Romanian uh, called, uh, oh, gosh, what's his name? Um Coanda, I think mm. his name was. Uh, yeah, Henry Coanda uh, created what he, he he turned a lenticular flying machine. So this basically means a a round flying machine. But back in 1932, uh, it made a small scale model of it, which worked, mm. um, and he was uh, granted a patent in 1935. For it. I don't think it worked very effectively, though. Mm. I mean, one of the, the Nazi, when we, when we spoke about the, the Nazi secret weapons at the end of World War II, one of them was a plane where the wings were circular. If you saw it from below, it would look round with, you know, you'd just be able to see the nose with a propeller. I think it's propeller propelled. Um, sticking yes. out the front and a, and, a, and a slight tail behind it. But generally, it was a, imagine like a delta wing aircraft except the wings are a, a round shape rounded so yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah, but... making gestures that our listeners won't be able to see but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah from yes, the ground they it called it the round. circular wing didn't they mm. um, is that what they call it wing yes i believe so yes mm. yes so, yeah I... that's a, a brilliant example mm. i mean wing design is a very um is a very complicated um there there was I know someone who worked on the design for Concorde and they spent, they spent a very long time designing this unique wing shape because Concorde was a 
effectively a delta winged aircraft, but they needed a wing that would that would be stable in in slow flight you know, when mm. when it when it's sort of cruising over areas where it's not allowed to go full thrust and break the sound barrier or just sort of landing and take off but but also would be able to hold up in supersonic flight yeah. and of course this was during the cold war and the russians at this time were were um obviously taking a, a very keen interest there were they were there were all sorts of espionage and counter espionage activities um, with with all sorts of things like the constitution of the tires um, and they knew that Russians were going at sneaking out to the runway to take scrapings from where the aircraft from the skid marks where the aircraft would land so they created this this latex that was a bit like bubble gum and uh, spread that there and, and laughed at them at the thought of these Russian scientists trying to make tires out of bubble gum somewhere in Siberia <laughs> but the, the wing shape it was so it was so specific, so hard to arrive at and it was so complicated to make that when the Russians produced their own version, their Concorde ski, it was just basically a, a box, you know, a, a squarish, a squared off delta wing. And, um, and then it had this little, little tail plane at the front, I think above the, above the cabin. And when experts first, when, when Concorde ski was first unveiled, um, a lot of experts just looked at it and said, no way that is supersonic. Mm. As it turned out. Um, I'm not sure that it was. No, it was called Concorde Ski, and it crashed spectacularly at the Paris Air Show of 1974. Oh, crikey! Mm. Yeah. But, wow. Um, um, I mean, uh, do you know what? That's that's an interesting point. And uh, so we're talking about flying saucer-shaped craft, but of course, a lot of UFOs are delta-shaped. So you look at like your flying wing, your B-52 mm. bombers, your Concorde. Mm. Um, they would be sort of UFO-shaped man-made mm. craft as well. And also, of course, a variable geometry aircraft, aircraft that have wings that fold in and out, uh, yes. which is handy if you're parking them on an aircraft carrier, but also you have these wings that come out to stabilise the aircraft when it's flying more slowly or needing to manoeuvre, but when you need the thing to just go full on, you just fold the wings in and it goes like a rocket. Mm. Well, Concorde had a variable nose, as I recall. Um, I think it was only for when it was on the ground. So the ah, pilots could see right. in front of the nose would droop down, and then when it was, the, the nose would come up. Ah, right, because right. that was cheaper than doing a camera. Or <laughs> well, perhaps, yeah, the technology. Probably back then. Yeah. I mean, you think that, that Concorde was, you know, it was an aircraft that was that came into service in the 1970s, so based on designs from the 1950s. Mm. So, you know, that was, and that yes. was one of the criticisms of the Space Shuttle, the, the, the Challenger that, that, the, that sadly blew up in 1986. The same, you know, these things take so long, the, the process from conception to design to build to test to actually use is so long that, yeah, it will always have technology that's 20 years out of date. Yes, yes. Okay, well, um, moving on to some others, there's uh, a couple of examples of round craft that are based on basically like, um, how would I put it, sort of a horizontal turbine. Mm. Uh, there was the Avro car um, way back in 1958, which had a single turbine at its centre. Mm. 
uh, carried two crew members. The only trouble is it only hovered like four or five feet off the ground. Right. Um, so it's actually seen more as an early sort of hovercraft, um, mm. just without the skirt, basically. That's how it's perceived. Um, but then there was the M200 series, uh, which which actually went into um, a bit of a production with the M200G uh, Volanta, I believe. This is more hmm. 1970s. Um, this one had a series of turbines around its edge so that, that your pilot or your crew, only two crew members, but they would sit in the centre of it with a plastic bubble over their heads. And then you had, I think it was six turbines around the edge of it. Um, hmm. That one was more successful, I believe. Um, yeah, and uh, we know British Rail. We know British Rail very well, don't we, Neil? Being in Britain, uh, well, British what well, British Rail as was or the new as was privatised, yes. franchised out. This was when it was a national company. Um, mm. In nineteen seventy, they developed their own flying saucer um, that even includes on its patent. Interplanetary travel. <laughs> really? Really. 1970. Now, now this is a particularly interesting one from my perspective because they included as part of the plans, as part of the designs, superconductivity and nuclear fission before huh. both things were discovered. Uh, so, uh, atomic fission or nuclear fusion? Are we talking nuclear about? fission? So that's an atom bomb. Yeah, so that's splitting um, an atom. That's that's splitting an atom. Uh, sorry, sorry, my bad. Nuclear fusion. So that's welding two atoms together. Yes, yes, fusion. Sorry, not fission. Mm. Um, can't read my own writing. <laughs> yes, nuclear fusion. Uh, yeah, and and superconductivities, mm. but. Yeah, bit before these things were really well contemplated as a as a power source yeah. for craft, I suppose. Now, since then, sort of scientists have looked at these designs and said, "Yeah, that wouldn't work. It'd it'd mm. kill everyone on board." Um, <laughs> well, I mean, a, 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 nucle a, a nuclear submarine, a, a nuclear powered submarine, is effectively a steam engine. It's just that. Instead of a coal in the furnace, it's got decaying nuclear material generating the heat. Yes, to power the steam engine. But that's... Well, that's how a power station itself works. It creates yeah. steam, which drives turbines, and that's what generates the electricity. Just, yeah, that's all the power station is—a big kettle, mm. or a big dynamo, um, like on your yeah. on your on your bike. Yeah, because I grew up near near. Um, nuclear power stations and you'd see these massive chimneys and you'd see all these mm. plumes of white coming out the top of them like constantly and and people would look at us all this all this pollution coming up no it's just steam it wasn't, mm. wasn't pollution coming out of them at all just steam <laughs> just water mm. yeah but I suppose you've got to be a bit suspicious around well, anything nuclear it's what you can't see with the radiation. When, yeah, when, when you're when you're being bathed in something that's coming from a nuclear power <laughs> yeah. station, yeah, should I be worried about this? Is this really exactly. just steam? Exactly. But it did strike me as a really weird one that, um, yeah, British Rail, 
Mm. Now, I mean, the term flying saucer, wasn't that apparently a misnomer that uh, a pilot described the, the UFO that he'd seen as having an erratic flight pattern, like a saucer, like if, as if you skipped a saucer across water, that it was like, bouncing. And um, a, a journalist translate that when when it came out he'd written that it was actually a saucer shaped object is that where the flying saucer i'm feeling very proud right now because that was something yes we talked about in a very very early episode and i'm really Ooh. really yes impressed that you remembered it oh that's where i remember it from from you yes <laughs> so i'm reminding <laughs> you, you from about me. a thing that you reminded me of <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much that he missed it. He, he called it a flying saucer, but mm. he, his intention was describing the movement rather than the, the shape. shape of it. But it was then later by others sort of taken away to, mm. uh, and it was describing a disc shaped object. So it's yeah. an easy mistake to make, but no, it was his, it was mm. the movement he was trying to convey. I, yeah. I remember when the when the frisbee craze started. I'm old enough to remember the 1960s when frisbees first came out over. Here. I think they've been in America for a while, but uh, they were new here and uh, advertised on television. Everyone wanted a frisbee, and of course, printed on it, it said "Whammo Frisbee Flying Saucer." Mm. So, which is of course, it's exactly it what is. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could even uh, use it as a plate if you turned it upside down. Now. I might so I've literally got this from the Back to the Future movies, hmm. um, but in the third Back to the Future movie, he, um, Marty McFly has a pie, and hmm. it is frisbee pies, and the plate it's on, I think he actually uses it as a frisbee. Okay, um, but yeah, so I'm wondering, like, is that is that historically correct that? Frisbees were actually pie makers and people used their plates as toys. It probably started with that, didn't it? That someone you, know, you can people, imagine people, it, people throwing around a, a a metal plate or a plastic plate. Well, maybe maybe they're throwing around a metal plate, which um, <laughs> yes. which is great fun until someone got their skull split open by it. I was going to say uh, yeah. they're throwing around a plastic plate yeah. in frontier times. That's yeah. definitely alien involved. Yeah, but then someone that. thought, "Oh, this is a great game. Let's <laughs> let's make it a bit safer with rounded edges and <laughs> and such." Yeah, um, and plastic. Interesting. Uh, but if you know, listeners, do let us know. Well, gosh, we're here at the half half hour mark. Um, mm. We better summarise what we think. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna postulate a theory to you, Neil. Um, okay. And see what you see what you think of this. I think that of the man made flight. Let's stick with the flying saucers. Um, mm. No, do you know what? I'm going to incorporate the deltas into this as well. I'm I'm going to postulate that. At very least, the visual design, if not some of the technology, is from otherworldly visitors. What do you think? Um, I, I I think that's possibly a bit fanciful. I think I think that aircraft designers they spend an awful lot of time trying to trying to optimize whatever it is they're trying to do, whether they're trying to optimize lift or speed or invisibility on radar and the shapes come out of that that they perhaps even computer aided design 
that they, they program what their requirements into a computer and it comes up with a, with a particular shape. Um, these shapes are very difficult to arrive at. Mm. Um, but I could tell you that rather than from actual UFOs, uh, I, th- I think there's an awful lot that comes from science fiction. That mm. it, it, it has often been said, if you want to have a look at what the future might look like, look at science fiction rather than science fact. There, there was a famous story about um, Dick Tracy, who will be more the, the comic book detective, who will be more familiar to our American listeners than to our British listeners, despite the Warren Beatty film of about 1990 odd. Um, Dick Tracy, and this, these were cartoons from the 1940s. He had a radio in his wristwatch. I think it had an aerial mm-hmm. sticking out of it. And they, you know, the comic would be calling Dick Tracy, calling Dick Tracy. And the scientists at the time said, well, that's impossible. You can't have a radio in a wristwatch because a radio is a big thing. And in those days, a radio was a piece of furniture, basically. Yeah. And and um, where would you fit all the valves and everything? That Because they were – they're, they're – their imagination was limited by what they knew was possible at the time. Mm. They, and, of course, the science fiction writers just said, well, I don't care. I'm not thinking about the technology. <laughs> I'm just saying he's got this thing. You know, work it out for yourself how it's possible. And I think a lot can come from that. A scientist, just, you know, a science fiction writer comes up with an idea and uh, it, that takes off. Well, yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and there are mm. many examples of, and, and scientists will say, I was inspired by what I saw on Star Trek to invent this thing. Mm. Um, you know, the, that's a, a very, very common thing. Yeah, and there, there are okay. even books on the science of Star Trek. You know how, yes. how the interstellar drive works, how the how the transportation chambers would work, or. Mm. What what would be the oh, the fit you know the science behind it? Or you can ask me because I've read them all. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am considered as something of a not not expert, but um, I, I I yeah I know my shit. Well, you know <laughs> as much as anyone thing. who's ever written it. <laughs> um, probably close, probably close. Mm. Um, back onto onto topic Track. then. <laughs> um, so I'm I get what you're saying about. You know that you look for the most efficient design, but surely to look for the most efficient design, you look to nature, and you can say, okay, we want a, a vehicle that's going to fly. Well, what already flies? Birds fly, yes, mm. and they've got wings, and you know they've got like pointed front ends. You don't see, you don't see in nature a, a flying saucer shaped bird. No, and and yet round the way, bird. <laughs> the, the way that birds fly is something we haven't ever really been able to replicate i mean there, no. there have there were some early aircraft they call them ornithopters um mm. which is a plane that flies by flapping its flapping mechanical wings and all right they can get it to fly off the ground they could get it to lift off but they can't do all the complicated things that birds can do to rotate it to, to sort of come in for a landing on something you know yes. or, or to or to snatch something out of the <laughs> snatch come down and snatch prey that that sort of thing but, we we just don't have the materials that can take the stresses that will be involved in that. No, our aircraft is more based on things like the Hawks, so ones that glide and yeah, you know, we can, without we can glide. Wings, they they use the air lifts. Um, mm. but yeah, I I I think looking at these round, like, I don't know, they're getting their inspiration from somewhere. I don't think it's computer design either, because computer design would go for some more delta shapes and um, mm. you know. 
Or in the case of Concord, which is a very, which was a very, very complicated requirement that needed to be able to take the, the supersonic speed and, and, and be, be stable in, in slower flight. Um, there, there's a, there's an American spy plane called the, the Blackbird. Mm, and yes. it was, I remember once it was coming over to, to Britain for, um, for an air show and it started, it was going so fast that um, it, it, as it started to to slow down over the somewhere of the English Channel, by the time it had completed its turn, it was over Amsterdam. <laughs> and apparently, um, because it gets so hot, because it's going so fast, there's so much friction generated, it actually changes shape. That I think it, it there's something like an ex, it grows an extra foot in length, wow. and they they have to be able to to build that into the design that it, it won't yes. distort that it it will. And apparently the fuel tanks are porous. They they can only fuel it right before it takes off, um, and then and then the, the, they will become sealed in flight. Wow! But um, wow, yeah, all impressive. these things that yeah, all these things you have to take in consideration. Just just the effect on materials of of going at that speed and getting that hot. There's definitely a lot to it. Anyway, we've gone way past our time. So, um, so listeners, what do you think about the man-made flying saucers? Do you think they're inspired by otherworldly visitors, or is it just kind of a natural evolution in in normal flight? Do let us know via the usual methods. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can email us at aliensexplored at gmail Come, um, but don't forget to join us next time. Oh, oh, Neil! You know we mm. talked about close encounters of the third kind recently. Mm, we did. We're going to be talking about the alleged real life version of that next week. We're going to be talking Project Serpo. I look forward to it. Excited for that. In the meantime, listeners. Keep watching those uh, aircraft coming off the assembly lines. Yes. <laughs> Why yes. not? Yes, don't, don't, don't hang around experimental aircraft bases with the aircraft. Not a good Don't do good that. Idea. It's not a good but do watch, But do watch them anyway. And the skulls. Take care for now. <laughs> Catch you next time. Bye-bye. Aliens Explored is a Fiegel Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit aliensexplored.com.